Welcome to a bonus episode of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Heather, Jesse's mom and Tony's mother-in-law. And we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Mother? Son? What are you doing here? Um, you're at my house <laughs> and we're here together. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> now that's a better question. Well, we want to have a bonus episode. This is going to be a little bit behind the curtain because we've had you on. You've been on before, yes. so people may recognize your voice. You can go back deep into the back catalog. Way back in the beginning. That's right. And find my mother. We had a delightful conversation, and this is going to be much of the same. But on this little bonus episode, we're talking about holiday traditions. Things we do in the Schwamm family. That's right. So everybody as listeners, if you've ever wanted to hear my mother talk about what we do, this is a dream come true for you. Yeah, this is your big opportunity. This is your chance. But before we do that, you're on the podcast and you know that we affirm with some things and we deny against some things. And my understanding is you have some things in mind that you'd like to affirm with. What are you affirming with? Oh, so we're starting it with affirmations. Let's do affirmations. Okay. <clears throat> well, it is the um, holiday season. So my affirmation is I am affirming saying Merry Christmas. All right. I don't like it when people feel like they can't use the word Christmas. So I take every opportunity <laughs> I can to say Merry Christmas. That's great. That's good. I think that that's a hotly debated topic, isn't it? It is. And some people feel that it's offensive and some people feel that you're not being tolerant if you, if you use it liberally, like you're saying, but I like it too. Do you, here's a question. What about saying happy Christmas? How do you feel about the happy and the merry? Well, as you know, I am an Anglophile. I do know So this. I love everything British and um, they do say that in the United Kingdom. So I actually will on my emails sometimes write happy Christmas. Just to switch it up. Yep. Just to switch it up. Do you want to shout out to our British I listeners? I want to say a shout out to the Brits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we, glad we got that out We're of the way. We're going to knock out all nationalities. Yes, we, we definitely, it's a full family of God on this podcast. The Reformed Brotherhood is, is deep and it is wide. So that's a great one. I'm going to affirm with something totally different. And that is something you and I have appreciated together and talked about quite a bit. And that is where I live recently, but basically this started during the pandemic, that almost every grocery store started to allow you to order your groceries and then pick them up. Now, that's actually been my life forever because my wife is very kind and goes and gets the groceries and brings them back. So for me... And your mother used to do that before you got married. That so is yes. actually correct. Thank you for bringing that up. So to me, it's actually always been the same because I just go to the car and help bring in the groceries. So really nothing's changed for me. But I know this big made a big difference in the life of my wife and it's just so convenient. So I'm affirming with what a time to be alive where you can order your groceries online. Somebody else graciously, I mean, they're being paid, but they go out and they accumulate all those groceries for you. You drive up, they put them in the car, you come home. I mean, that's fantastic, right? Yeah. It's a new day and age. <laughs> it is. You don't sound convinced. Well, I mean, you guys have a very unique place where the way your groceries are done it that is done here as well in new hampshire but not to the capacity that your stores are doing in pennsylvania so if our stores got to the same place where you guys are <laughs> i would be on board with that but right now we're not quite at the same level that you guys do so it's coming for you it's coming yeah hopefully yeah. 
That's another opportunity where you might be able to say Merry Christmas to the people, for instance, the attendants. Putting the groceries in my yes. car. Yeah. <laughs> it's all coming back around. All right. So what are you denying against? Well, my denial has nothing to do with the holidays, but this is just a pet peeve of mine. I am denying all men who continue to wear their baseball caps indoors. <laughs> and I happen to be looking at one who's doing it as we speak. Where You see men wearing them in restaurants. You see them That's wearing true. them in the movie theater. Oh, I haven't seen that. You see them wearing them pretty much everywhere indoors. And that is just a huge uh, social etiquette faux pas. Men are supposed to remove their hats when they go indoors. That's true. It is very traditional for you, to, for anybody, actually, not to, although women can wear hats, right? Yes, women can wear hats, but, we you know, you don't really see women wearing hats very often. Right, but so. we're t you're talking about a different kind of hat for a woman, like yeah, a stylish, it, yeah, not like a, a baseball a, cap. a hat you might wear on Easter Sunday, a church hat, you know, something all like right. that. But we're all learning all yeah, kinds of I'm things. Yeah, I'm just talking about men who are wearing their baseball caps and their beanies and any other hats. <laughs> Indoors. That's such a pet peeve of mine. It's socially just inappropriate. To be but doing. you love it on me. I will say nothing. I, lo <laughs> I love you. So we'll leave it at that. Fair enough. Now, but I should say in my defense, where we're recording in the Swamp Schwamm studio here, <laughs> it's a little bit chilly. Yeah. We're, well, we're in the lower level of our house. Our house has three, three floors. The lower level is the basement. And my, we're in dad's office, which so we're surrounded by stacks and stacks of bookshelves all filled with books looks like a little mini library um however it is the coldest room in the house so yeah we're both wearing like fleece jackets <laughs> and you're wearing your baseball cap and the heat is turned up too i might add it's just this room doesn't get it as well as the other rooms yeah that's fair so i'm gonna piggyback on well kind of on that denial it's certainly it's a new hampshire related thing but it's not denial of new hampshire it's actually in some ways, an affirmation. And that is one of the things I do appreciate among many things about New Hampshire is if you are from or live in a state that has regular amount of snow, you know that they can just handle it much better than seemingly places elsewhere. And this has always confounded me to some degree because where I live, when there's a big snowstorm coming, they love to hype it up first off. Inevitably, they always interview a state plow truck driver in anticipation and it's always the same question like what are you gonna do and the guy's always like throw some salt on it and drive the truck around you know like what do you expect that person to say but it just astounds me that how differently the states different states handle snow even the states that live in like this marginal space where you get a decent amount of snow but maybe not enough to kind of commit to it in a real way where you get a real process down so i'm denying against the states that just don't do i I can't tell you how many times, and this drives uh, my wife, Jen, crazy, where I am critiquing the plowing technique. Yeah. And I'm saying, why are they putting salt down? It's going to snow. They're going to have to push it off the road. So if I know this, and I'm not an expert. Certainly, they must know this as well. So yeah. this is turning into a bad rant. But well, one of the things that I, I became aware of was one time when my brother and his wife were up from Georgia visiting us at Christmas. She pointed out that our plows are very different from the plows, true. which I never realized before she said that. So our plows are angled and they have two plows and they're meant for heavy duty snow and seriously kicking it off to the side. And she was saying <laughs> their plows are just single plow straight forward on the front of their trucks. Right. Yeah. So all I can say about that is, 
Like most things, New Hampshire does it right. <laughs> <laughs> With snow, that's for sure. Yeah. Or all most of New England, I would say, does it right. Right? Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire. Yeah, but New Hampshire. New Hampshire always leads the way, Okay, Jesse. there we go. Always. All right. Everybody's learning a lot on this episode so far. I think this has been educational. So to that end, let's talk about the holidays a little bit. And you wanted to share some of what makes maybe our family unique with respect to that or the traditions that we have. But let's start with the conversation here. And that is, as a parent and as the wife of a pastor, when you were starting your family, what is it that you wanted to do? to make the holiday special? What was in your heart that you wanted to make sure took place during Christmas time? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, Thank you. So uh, I think to, to really go back and understand what I wanted to do personally with the holidays, you'd have to know a little bit about my growing up. And so I grew up in a household where my father was a minister, but he wasn't a minister at a church. He was a superintendent of the oldest rescue mission in New York City, and we lived in Jersey. So we would have to go, uh, we would have to do our Christmas celebration on Christmas Eve, like around five o'clock in the afternoon. We'd have to open all of our presents. And then we would travel into New York City, and we would have to uh, help feed the homeless. So they would all come in for a big Christmas dinner. That part was always fun. But then we had to do this uh, like 11 o'clock midnight service. And, you know, my brother and I would be so, we were young, we were little, and we'd always be so tired. Uh, so we wouldn't get home until like two o'clock in the morning on mm -hmm. Christmas morning. So there was no opening presents on Christmas Day. And I, of course, all my friends always open their presents on Christmas Day. So I always felt like I was missing something that it was that we were celebrating Christmas, but it was kind of weird from the way the rest of the world celebrates Christmas. Just disjointed Christmas. in its yeah, timing. Yeah, just very disjointed. And so I just knew when I had a family that we, I wanted to do it more traditionally and have us open our presents on Christmas morning. The other thing was we never did stockings. And again, I always, like my friends would always talk about all these little treats they had in their stockings and seeing the stockings first when they came down the stairs in the morning. And we never had a stocking. And so I thought, oh my goodness, I have to do stockings with, but here's the interesting thing. Daddy grew up with his parents doing stockings, but they only put fruit and candy in the stockings, which sure. frankly, I thought that was weird. So <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that's good that they have the stocking thing in place, but I'm not really sure. I think that's like a very older generational thing. Sure. Yeah. So I just knew I wanted my kids to have stockings and I want those stockings filled with like little toys, like little. So Christmas stockings, in a way, for us, are like a mini version of opening presents as a family. Sure. So I do, um, the, and, and you, I, I, nobody's ever asked me why I do this, but I do 12, 12 stockings and the uh, 12 little gifts in the stockings to celebrate and represent the 12 days of Christmas. Right on. And I wrap each individual little gift. And so, as you know, when we open our Christmas presents in the morning, Usually, uh, the youngest has always passed them out, but now that everybody's older, Tony loves passing them out, so he usually jumps in there right away. He says, I'll pass out the presents. Either that Let's talk just, more about Tony. Or either that he's just in a real hurry to get to them. I don't know which it is, but 
Um, so usually Tony passes them out and then your wife, Jen, usually helps them. Right. So, so for some reason, it's sort of morphed into the in-law kids <laughs> passing out the presents. And I think that's kind of fun. So they pass them all out. We sit around in a circle and then we take turns going around the circle, opening the presents, which is a lot of fun because everybody gets to see what everybody's gotten right. and appreciate each person and the what they went through to find something very uniquely special for each person. So I like that element. And when you were all little, you would open your stockings first because right. you were little. So you would just run to the stockings and open those up first. But as you got older, we flipped that. Um, and now we open the presents in the morning as usual, but then we save the stockings for the evening. And that sort of like prolongs Christmas. And surprisingly enough, your sister Ashley has told me opening the stockings in the evening is her favorite part of Christmas Day. So then we go and we do the same thing. We go around the circle and we open each present individually. But one of the fun things we do is I always say before we start opening them, guessing is encouraged. And I'm always surprised at how each person feels the present. They shake the present. Mm -hmm. They sometimes smell the present and they take a guess. And I'm often surprised at how accurate the guess, guesses are. So this year I thought, you know what? I've been thinking about doing this for a while. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a new tradition. So I told you guys this year, guessing is encouraged. And in fact, the person who gets the most correct guesses now gets an extra bonus gift. And so everybody was like contending for the bon bonus gift. But but Tony was on a mission. Tony, Tony was like, I am winning this gift hands down. So and he did. And he did. <laughs> so yeah, he was he was like seriously playing the game. And he did. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. I think we'll keep doing that. Yeah. So so I think it's it's been clear to me growing up in our family that as you have kind of set the pace, set the tone and the context for the holidays. That generosity and gift giving has always been a part of that. And part of the, I think, spreading out the timeline of the gift opening has been this way to relish and kind of sit in both anticipation and appreciation for gifts. Yeah. Is that a fair observation? Absolutely. I think the anticipation part is is so important. Uh, and to me, I don't, you know, we look forward to Christmas all year round. It's my very favorite time of the year. I don't want the day to rush by and just be over after gifts right. are opened in the morning. And we, as you know, after we open gifts, we take time to clean all the paper up and tidy up the room. And then we start to prepare like our very special Christmas dinner. Mm -hmm. And typically I go around and I ask everybody what their favorite gift was and what their favorite stocking gift right. was uh, later. So, um, and we save our dessert for later in the evening when we, when we open our gifts, our stockings. So yeah, it's, to me, it's, it's another way of like making Christmas last longer, not rushing through it, but savoring it is right. a good way of saying it. Why has it been so important to you to savor that, to spend, because it is a day that our family spends almost entirely together, no matter what yeah. we're doing, we're either moving through the appreciation of gift giving and receiving, then eating together. And that's a nice, really long, prolonged meal. There's always yeah. lots of conversation and laughing. Yeah. And then to more gifts. And then often we spend the evening together as well. It's a prolonged yeah. event. So why was yeah. it so important to make it that way? Yeah. Sometimes in the evening we either watch a Christmas movie together or this year I think we played a game that night. We did. Yeah. We played a game. So um, it's important to me because, well, first of all, like I said, Christmas is my very favorite time of the year. I love what it represents. I love, I love the feel of it. I, I wish all year could be like Christmas. 
I love the music of Christmas. Um, I think it's important not to rush through it because I think we can easily do that if the focus is simply on the gifts and not on what the meaning of Christmas is all about. I think the gifts are, there's, you know, there's a balance at Christmas to remembering Christ's birth. And we do that. We make the emphasis of Christ on Christmas Eve. So as you know, your dad's pastor. So every year we have Christmas Eve service and growing up, all of you kids were required to participate in Christmas Eve. You all play multiple instruments right. and you were, you were basically, you know, drafted into participating in Christmas Eve service. Sometimes you guys were involved in skits. But every year you definitely played music. Sometimes you were singing, you know, it depends on what was going on. But everyone was expected to participate in Christmas Eve service. In addition, our family always decorated the church. So that putting up a tree in the church, putting all the garland on the front with the candles, putting them, putting garland in the windows with candles. And, you know, we we always led up to Christmas Eve as being the most important element right. of Christmas. That was where the emphasis was. And it was almost like once, and then as even as a family, we would have a special dinner. We always had a birthday cake for Jesus and we would sing happy birthday. And I'm laughing because this is the first year that didn't really pan out very well. So just so all of our listeners know, I made my usual birthday cake that I make for Jesus. And I was pretty proud of myself because this year I even decorated the top of it with some green and red stars. Yeah. Yeah. Like I really, it's very beautiful. It was very, very pretty. And I put it in the container. And as you know, we, we have, our refrigerator is not very big and it's always packed because everybody comes home and there's lots of food that I have in the refrigerator. So I asked your dad if he would put the cake in a cooler and put the cooler out on the deck because it's very cold here in New Hampshire. And this is not uncommon. We do this right. with lots of things. Right. It saves you. And people who live in a cold climate know this is a great trick. Yeah. You can utilize New Hampshire's cold weather as your secondary refrigerator. Right. And our deck is elevated to us to the second floor of our house. Like it's on the main level, but the backyard drops. So that's really on second floor. Right. So no animals can get to it. So we always put a cooler out there. And I said to your dad, could you please put the cake out in the cooler? And he did. What we really weren't paying attention to was that it started to rain the next day. And I remember walking over to the deck uh, French doors and looking out there at the rain and the cooler and thinking, oh yeah, we're we're good. Everything's good. But there was a little bugaboo at the back of my mind said, you know, you might want to just make sure the rain's not getting inside that cooler. (laughs) And I thought, no, no, it couldn't happen. And sure enough, the next day I asked your dad to get the cake out and (laughs) the rain had filled like a quarter of the bottom of the cooler and the cake and the rain were frozen solid. And your dad's trying to tell me everything's okay. <laughs> and I'm telling him. I thought there was a chance myself. It might yeah, have been no, preserved. No, I said to him, there's absolutely no way. If the rain is in the bottom of the cooler, it seeped through to the t- inside the Tupperware container where the cake was sitting. So your dad, you know, he didn't want to give up on it. He brought it in. He chipped away. I was with him. I helped him chip. He opened it up. And sure enough, the whole half, bottom half of the cake, it was a two-tier cake, was soaking wet with rainwater. And it reminded me of a song from, I think it was like the late 60s, early 70s. There's this song by Engelbert Humperdinck. 
Dink, who <laughs> sang this song called <laughs> MacArthur's Park. And there's this one line where he says, and the cake was left out in the rain, and I don't think I can take it because it took so long to bake it. And I, you know, all the Just time I was you. growing up, I was like, what the heck does that line even mean? And now I understand. Now I, I feel the pain of Engelbert <laughs> singing that song because <laughs> my cake was left out in the rain. And here's your father going, no, no, it's still good. We could still eat it. <laughs> I'm like, it's I, I with, with rainwater. The, the thing is, the test of that, we're a little bit off the topic, but that's okay now. The test was, I couldn't tell if it wasn't in Tupperware, but whatever the plastic was in, I couldn't tell if it had preserved a seal. But then when we finally could, and we had to chip this bad boy out of a, yeah, <laughs> probably two inches or three inches of ice. Once we got it out, there was this big moment of reveal. We released the cake. And basically, there it was surrounded in an inner tube of ice. There was a whole <laughs> ice ring around the cake, and it was gone. I mean, it looked it perfect. Was, yeah. And I think that's why Dad kept saying, I think it's okay. <laughs> it's a sad moment. I was like, it's fr- there's ice we like, love frozen a cake. around the cake. I love the Jesus cake. Yeah. It's so the whole point was cake. we always have a birthday cake with candles, and we sing happy birthday to Jesus at our dinner table. And then after dinner, we go off to Christmas Eve service. And our whole emphasis on Christmas Eve is literally about Christ. And I feel like by the time we come to Christmas Day, we can, it's okay to make Christmas Day about our love for one another. Oh, of course. Because obviously that love for one another and the gifts are a reflection of our love for each other, but they're a reflection of the greatest gift that Jesus gave to us. Yeah, that's right on. And I've always sensed that, that we've never actually talked about this, articulated all that detail. It's always been clearly embedded and impounded in what we've done. I always have, uh, from being very young, like fond memories of the Christmas Eve service, even when I was forced to be in the bell choir or yeah, we've done to bells sing. too. Yeah, but there was this clear emphasis that there's almost this building up. There is the anticipation, the Advent, the waiting, but there's all this celebrating of like the Christ Child has come, and it spills over to this almost glorious eruption on the on the next morning in Christmas morning of the gift giving is just this natural flowing. It's almost the tidal wave of love of God mm-hmm. coming into our lives. It's manifest and how we appreciate one another in the gift giving, but the gift giving is always tethered, always tightly coupled to the gift giving of God that right. for God so loved the world that he gave. Right. And, and that's clear. So the emphasis came through and I've always, you know, felt that. That's good. Then you got it. Cause we, I don't yeah. think we've ever sat down to like map it out for any of you. you. We were hoping that you would all just catch it. I mean, clearly the emphasis for us and the build up to Christmas has always been the Christmas Eve service. It's right. always been that. And then, I mean, e- you know, even after we would even set up um, as a family, our gift to the church and to any visitor that came right. to our church on Christmas Eve was we personally would set up a beautiful buffet of cookies that I had Mainly spent. you. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I say we, I'm using the royal way. I really mean way. Yeah. Uh, me. Um, we would set up a buffet of, you know, cook Christmas cookies and other treats that I had spent weeks and weeks preparing and that was our gift to anyone who came to Christmas Eve service. So people would linger after Christmas Eve. Yeah, it was always nice. Yeah, for like an hour or so, having um, some hot coffee or hot chocolate and have all those cookies that we had placed out. And that was our thank you, thanks to the church right. um, and our special like gift to them. Um, yeah, and so by the time we would get home on Christmas Eve, 
it, it would be like around, you know, nine o'clock at night later. by the time that we cleared everything up, cleaned right. everything up and put everything away and then came home. So by the time we got home on Christmas Eve, I was like thoroughly exhausted. And, and the thought of even like waiting till all the kids went to sleep so we could get the gifts out. And by the way, you guys still make me do that. Like I'm like, <laughs> you're oh yeah. I was like, can't we put the gifts under the tree oh, ahead of time? I, I and everybody's no like, no, no, we I, don't want that. I have no preference. So to this that. day, I still wait for everybody to go to bed. But now what I do is I get up at like two in the morning when everybody's sleeping. And then I gather all the Christmas gifts and I put them under the tree so that when all my adult children and grandchildren come in, they're like, ooh, <laughs> like, yeah, the Christmas. Well, now you have grandchildren in. who can appreciate that. Yeah. Well, they're still a little too young to fully appreciate that, but still my children appreciate it. Yes, so. but, but they, I think they still uh, love that kind of thing. There's some, like you said, there's something special about that time of year, acknowledging all the traditions and the different things you do to cultivate that kind of space. I think you've already answered some of this question. But I'm really curious, based on how you grew up and your own experiences and what you know now as an adult, so you have children, grown children, you have grandchildren now, how has your theology uh, influenced how you kind of create this space? Like, what is it that you would say, my theological convictions are show up here and here and here when you create these traditions that you want your family to be a part of? Well, one of the ways that they did when you guys were little was on Christmas Eve after church. I was wondering if you were going to say this. Yeah. After church, we would go, we would gather all the children. They would come up. They would get their jammies on. uh, They would get ready for bed. And then you all would gather in the family room, and Daddy would read the Bible story out loud from the scriptures while you acted it out. And so there were, everybody got assigned to part and there were shepherds in their bathrobes and yeah, there, poor Ashley was usually Mary. She's the only (laughs) sister. So, um, and there would be like a baby doll for Jesus and daddy would read it out loud and you guys would actually act it out. And that was the very last thing that was instilled in you before you would go off to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that because I remember the, the culmination of that would be the, uh, Dad would read the the shepherd, so it culminates. It's from I think you generally read from the Gospel of Matthew. Yes, and it would culminate in the shepherd saying, "Let us go and tell." Yeah, yeah, and and the shepherds would walk in, and it, yes. oh, it I was, always loved yeah. that. And we'd run around, and yeah, we'd tell everybody, yeah, tell everybody Jesus is born, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is really the best part of Christmas, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so that was Dad's part that he would really emphasize with you guys when you were growing up. I I was more of like just an observer. I was the audience. Yeah. We would yeah. tell you. Yeah. I was the audience. <laughs> and then the four of my children would have these variety of parts that were played. And as daddy read it out loud, he would give you time to pa- reflect and pause and then act it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That was always fun. Yeah. I think one of the things that this teaches us is that in every family, there's somebody that in some ways kind of is the point of the spear is the tip of the spear, so to speak, with trying to make sure that a family comes together and honors the things that are important that reflect both the holiday, but as Christians, of course, especially one that's supposed to be centered around Jesus, that the idea is law and gospel coming together and that great freedom has come to us in Christ. Right. It does take somebody to champion that, right? It doesn't happen by accident. No, some, yeah, done. somebody has to lead the way and, and do that. Right. Yeah. So the question is, now that you have grown children, now that you're in the second generation, what is it that you want your children to carry on 
that you've done is important to you? Well, uh, well, first of all, I want my children to sort of create their own. Right now, everybody still comes home, um, which is a great joy for me. So everybody comes home and we still celebrate Christmas as a big family. Right. And I've got my in-law kids with me, which, you know, I, I refer to them as my in-law kids, but they're still my kids. I think what I want is for at some point, dad and I are going to be gone or just not able to host Christmas anymore, sure. whichever comes first. Sure. I mean, we're not naive. We can't endlessly keep doing this. So at some point you all will decide, you know what, we want to we want to do this ourselves, or we still want to come together as a family and somebody else is going to be responsible for hosting it and kind of taking the lead. I guess I want you to, to create traditions that are meaningful to you because I do believe that when people marry, you're bringing together, you're merging together two families. And I think out of that, you determine as a couple, what did you like about this thing that you did in your family? And what didn't you like about this thing, your family? And how do you want to tweak that for your own family? Do you want to keep certain traditions that you grew up with or do you want to tweak them? So I want you to come up with traditions that work for you because these were traditions that worked for us. And they were basically born out of what I thought was missing from my family. So, um, and you know your dad. Your dad's like super easygoing. He's like, whatever we do is okay with me. (laughs) He's really, really easygoing. Um, so I guess I'd want you to, to merge together your traditions. I think one of the things that I've always been very careful to do since all of you were born, starting with you, since you're the oldest was I've always given you all ornaments that connect to things that you've done in that year of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, whether you were born or whether you did something uniquely different or you, happened to really be into a particular team, you know, there were, each of you was given an ornament every year. So that, and one of the reasons was it was like a, a visual reminder of your life Mm -hmm. and the things that I recognize as important to you. And then it was also something that you could take with you and carry that tradition. You know, like I'm always thinking, I still give you ornaments every year. That's true. Yeah. And I, I always say someday dad now will be gone and you'll look at your tree and you'll go, oh, mom, dad gave us this, mom, right. dad becomes, gave us this. It becomes a story of yeah, your life. Yeah, it's a you story of your life. It's recount. a legacy to carry on. Sure. And then eventually someday I'm hoping you would pass those on to your children and say, well, this was my dad's and his parents gave it yeah, to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that would definitely be one of the traditions that I'd like to see you do. I always say I wish that my legacy would be that it's sorry, okay. sorry. It's okay. <laughs> that my children would want to spend the holidays together for sure, and they're in the company of one another. Yeah. So, and that's what we do now. Yeah, that's what we do. And I'm hoping that at some point when Dad and I are gone, that you still want to be in each other's company. Right. That would be my greatest legacy: is yeah. children who love their siblings and want to be together. Yeah, and we've seen that one just got real. Now it's like an episode of Oprah or something <laughs> just happened on this podcast. No, that's great because I think that that shows that um, when families gather together and they celebrate and they kind of have this accumulation of things that become traditions. You know, sometimes you do something and you like it so much and all of a sudden that's, that becomes part Tradition, and parcel yeah. 
of, and then to remove that is to feel like you are somehow taking away from the experience. All of that is really about gathering together to worship, to love each other. That it is like a tremendously important thing. We don't just do these things because they're fun or because we feel obligated to do a certain thing. It's really because we are building together yeah. this sense of who we are as people, as right. family. This is part, these things are what, they're what little things, us. but they make you schwams. Yeah, yeah. That's and, right. and what you have in common with your siblings is your siblings will know you longer than anybody else. And they have right. these things in common with you. They share them with you. Their your memories are their memories. They might be tweaked in a little way from their perspective, but they're still your you have them in common. That's right. Yeah. And that's that's what we're that's what Dad and I always say is our our legacy would be to if in our best dream come true is to leave our New Hampshire home to all of our children to be able to congregate together whenever they wanted to. Right. And, and share time together. That would be the greatest legacy. Well, it is a leave. great legacy. The the family of God, the family God has given you coming together because you don't get to choose that. Right. right? Yep. And so <laughs> in many ways that is, well, in every way, it is, of course, God's preordination, his superintending will that he gives you family by birth. At the same time, a supernatural family, of course. But as well, this family by birth, they some, we sometimes underestimate, I think. We sometimes undervalue. It is the one that God has given us. Right. And so to make an emphasis to be together, to gather together, to worship together, to appreciate and adore him together, especially it's okay to lean into this in this time of year, of course, where we are focused on the incarnation and Christ coming as that, as that great gift. And I think you've modeled that very, very well for us, mom. Like I've known, I met you 42 years ago. <laughs> and I would say since that time, I've, I've only known this space where that's been a priority for our family. But my sense is that it's always grown out of a deep conviction that we love each other because God first loved us. Right. And so that's been impressed on the things that we do. In other words, everything that we do is just with the stockings or the meal or the gift giving or the singing, or it's never far from this idea. You can always trace it back very easily. You don't have to walk very far to find it. Right. That's that God loves us. Right. And that he's done a great thing in sending his son. Right. Well, I mean, God is the most important thing in our life. We, I love my kids and I love my husband, but I love God more. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Almost as much as me. Well, right. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> well, while we're talking about people, and it's just you and I talking, Tony's not here. Should we talk about Tony? Yeah, is let's talk about Tony. about Tony. <laughs> <laughs> what could we say about Tony? There's so much to say. <laughs> well, like you said, I think one of the things I appreciate, and I think every family is a little bit different, is that sometimes there's this sense, and I think it's mainly unwitting that the in-laws are different, but I, I really sense the way you love my wife, the way that you've loved Tony. That's never been the case. You've literally just been adding to your family. Yeah. So when we gather here, the inside jokes, the things that happen, it's like every, in the weird way, even my wife is like, she's my sibling in the sense that like, we all fall under this lovely love that you and my father have for all of us. And it's equal. It's without bias. Yeah, I would say, and I this is this is something I, I often say. There's a there's plenty of love to go around. There there's absolutely like no um, restrictions. There's no objections that that I love all of my children, including my in law children. And sometimes I refer to them as my in law children just to be distinctive for a particular right. reason. But I think of them as my children. 
And uh, I appreciate everything that they bring to our family because obviously they come from different backgrounds, each of them. And they bring these wonderful elements with them into our family. Um, and I love the way that they embrace our family. Like you can just tell they enjoy being part of our family, yeah, which sure. makes me really happy. Well, we're super awesome. <laughs> so I, I, I love all of my children and my in-law children for different reasons. Each one, just like all four of my children are uniquely different, each of my in-law children is uniquely different. And I think they bring this wonderful, like, completeness, you could say, to our family. Right. They And they fit in. And I love when they embrace our family because there's, a, there's love enough for everyone and room enough for everyone. And um, just because we're used to doing things in a particular way as Schwams doesn't mean that we aren't open to hearing like a different way of doing something sure. and having that brought to the table. Um, and I love to find, just like with my own children, I love to find the unique uh, qualities and strengths that my in-law children have and what they bring to the table, their own little like expertise that they can bring just like my own children have. Right. I, I always embrace that and I love that. And, um, yeah, I, I enjoy all of my children and my grandchildren. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, God doesn't make mistakes. Right on. Yeah. He does. God doesn't make mistakes. Each child is in a family for a particular reason. Each parent is in a family for a particular reason. Each in-law child is in the family for a particular reason. I think there's love enough to go around for everybody. Yeah. So, yeah. And that makes sense to me. Is this a good time for you to affirm that I'm the favorite child though out of all of them or <laughs> should we do that later? I know you and Jen are always saying you are the favorite <laughs> children, but I'm not going to say anything, especially mind, not on the entire world. Will the hear record, this. Yeah. So let's just go on the record with the truth. <laughs> Hashtag real truth. All right. So let me ask one final question uh, for you. And I appreciate how much you've been willing to just kind of open up and speak candidly about your own background, your traditions. We have lots of different people that are part of the Reformed Brotherhood that listen to the podcast of all kinds of ages. But generally, we have some book endings. We have people that are young, maybe just starting families. And we have some people that are a different season of life, a little bit older and have more mature families. So based on what we just talk about, this idea of this time of year, Tony and I talked about at length, can be confusing because there's just lots of competing interests there's lots of red herrings that can get you distracted from the real purpose. And you've already articulated that well of what Christmas really should be about in our celebration as Christians. So let me ask the question this way. Let's start with, if you were going to give, maybe there's a young family listening or people that are about to get married and they want to make sure that they're honoring and they, they really don't know what one thing they could do to make it Christ-centered in terms of like a tradition what one thing might you rec recommend to a young family that's that's starting out that you could say, you know what, you should consider doing this for your holiday? Well, I would definitely say they should attend Christmas Eve service. That is such a special service out of the year. It's so uniquely different. It's, it's very much to me like a Good Friday service or an Easter Sunday morning service. Um, it definitely places the emphasis where it should be on Christ. I would say um, a great thing you can do with little children is what your dad used to do with you guys. And you guys loved that. Every year you'd look forward to acting it's out. True. Yeah. Every Christmas Eve after church, you all would get so excited about the fact that your dad was going to read the story, the Bible story 
of um, Jesus's birth out loud and you got to act it out. And kids can act it out in bathrobes for shepherds and <laughs> little we West Highland Terrier dogs for sheep. <laughs> I mean, there's so many ways that the children can be coming. It's a way for them to be engaged personally in the Bible story and express their own love for Christ in that. I would say that's definitely a way of doing it. I think it's important to somehow convey to your children that there's nothing wrong with giving gifts on Christmas morning, as far as I'm concerned. Sure. And I think that the gifts are, you can convey to your family that the gifts are an expression of we give to one another because Jesus gave to us. I mean, gift giving is definitely one of my love languages. Right. It, it's, it's, it's my way of saying, I thought about you. I looked around to find just the perfect thing for you. Sure. And I'm so excited to watch you open it. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think it takes anything away from Jesus and what he's done for us. If anything, I think it enhances that. So those are, those are simple things that I think people can incorporate in young families. Yeah, that's, there's a lot that I think should resonate with us. We talked just on the last episode, a couple episodes ago, I had this, uh, you, you listen, right? I do listen. Okay, good. Although I'll, sometimes the, I think those affirmations and those denials are a little too long, but uh, that, that's okay. How dare you? <laughs> I'm just saying. And we had you on an episode. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. I think that uh, I'm not going to address that. We'll just let that slide. Okay. Uh, I, I think that one of the things that gets misplaced about gift giving is somehow because it can be abused, it can be a distraction that somehow we should jettison it. And again, what we know about our God is he is a giving God. Yeah, that he God demonstrates his love. Yes, he demonstrates his love yeah. in giving, always in giving, everywhere he is giving. Yeah. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with in reason having this appropriate place. The problem is that when we disassociate the gift giving, mm -hmm. when we get that, too distracted exactly. by the gift yeah. giving, when we get caught when up. When the emphasis is the gift giving. Is the giving. gift giving, yeah. yes. I think, again, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with gift giving. And that's why we worked very hard to make Christmas Eve the entire focus of Christ. Right. And then Christmas morning was our love for one another. It, do, it didn't exclude Jesus. Right. It was the, because of Jesus. It was because of Jesus. Right. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with giving to each other and being generous. I think there's right. a difference between generously loving through gifts and overindulging. I think there's a big difference sure. between those things. It's easy to cross the line if you're not paying attention. I think what we tried to always do was give the, each of you three gifts. And we tried to give you gifts that were all, it's, you know, I'm the oldest just like you. And so fairness has always been a big, strong point of mine of being sure. fair. So if I did for one child, I always did for another child. I never did more for one child than I did for another. So I always tried to keep the monetary range the same and the number the same. But the emphasis was the gift comes to you because we love you. It's right. a reflection of our love for you. It's just a physical demonstration of that. Um, so I think it's it worked for us to put the emphasis of Jesus on Christmas Eve all day right? and put the emphasis on Christmas Day of our love for one another because of Jesus. Right. Again, it wasn't to say that he was... He wasn't again, excluded. Right. 
it was just that this is another facet of God's love for us. Yeah, demonstrated. exactly. And I always remember uh, dad praying over those meals in that kind of vein. Yeah. Again, it came out of an extension. I think, again, there's this run up to that celebration. I think there's so much to be said for having a proper runway when you get to that point. If you kind of miss that, it's possible that you get to Christmas Day, so to speak, with the gift giving and think it's all about materialism. But there was a proper context such that the gift giving was subsequent to this great act of worship. And then the gift giving was extension of worship. Yes. And I, I think it's it's important to remember, and this is how I often think of it, is that it is my desire to be as generous, not not indulging. Right. But to be as generous as I possibly can afford to be with my children and my grandchildren until the day I just can't be. Because Jesus is generous with me in every capacity, in every way, Jesus is generous with me. And that's my desire to be generous. So it's a testimony in a way. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope you can make that <laughs> connection. <laughs> um, so before I ask the second part of the question, I would add to that because this has always been meaningful to me is though it might seem might maybe it might seem tried to some people, but the birthday cake for Jesus was always a super fun thing because in some ways this is, well, in many ways, this is really great theology. It was, of course we don't know when Jesus was actually mm-hmm. born. We are right. celebrating the fact that he was born into the world, right. right? That a son was given. So, so, you know, the son being given was eternally contemporary, eternally present but a child was born. Son always present, child born. And what I've appreciated more as an adult about this is just the good theology that's like underneath all of this that undergirds and holds it up, which is to say that even now, Jesus is alive in human form. He stands at the Father and he gets a cake. Yeah, he's he, a person. We still sing to him. <laughs> because he's a person. Yeah. He's in human form. He yep. is truly God and truly man. And when it's your birthday, you should we, get a cake. You should get a cake. And we with candles, we right. would sing, and then we would all blow out the candles together. Right. So yeah. I think even as a child, that was like very clear that Jesus yeah. is like us. Yeah. Very much like us. Yeah, because we would like do us. the same for you guys on your birthdays. We would have cake and candles and sing. We do the same thing to Jesus. Yeah. So I think if you're trying to sneak in something fun for your children to participate in. Do that birthday cake. That's right. Or even just for you by yourself to have a cake where you sing to Jesus. I mean, that's an act of praise, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's an act of worship. I At least I always saw it that way when we were singing because we were singing to him. Happy birthday to you. Yeah, right. we were singing directly to him. Right. Yeah. So let's flip this on its head slightly and say you've been through many seasons of life. And so now again, you have adult children and you have grandchildren. What's one thing you recommend for somebody that's maybe on the other side, the other bookend? That's not a young family, but what were some things you, if you have adult children, if you're starting at grandchildren, that you would recommend? Something for the grandchildren? Something for the family, being that now it's moved from a young family oh, to a more mature family. So where for they people have, our age, <laughs> sure, people my age. Um, I what I love to do now is um, I listen to. Um, uh, in the morning when I'm getting ready Reform for Reformed Brotherhood. Well, I do listen to Reformed <laughs> Brotherhood. But in addition to that, I also listen to um, scripture on being read out loud. Okay. You can hear our Westie scratching at the door to come in. Um, <laughs> a scripture read out loud. Uh, and one of the things I love to do personally at Christmas is re listen to the gospels read out loud about Jesus's birth and then his life, because it's, I want the whole connection. Right on. I want to listen to his birth at this time of year 
because it connects me to what's happening right now. But I want to hear the whole story. I want yeah. from because it, as as we've often heard, the baby came, Jesus came right. to to Emmanuel with us, right? And he came for a purpose, and the purpose was to redeem us. You know, he had a complete. You know, I always like to say because I'm a person of details. Like details are very important to me, as you as you know this year. I always try to do a little theme at Christmas and right. I wait to see if everybody catches it. And this year the theme was the little red pickup truck with the tree in it. Mm -hmm. And um, everywhere you looked, it was in the wrapping paper. It was on the little gifts I left you, the welcome home gifts I always leave for you on your bed. There was little remnants of that. My grandson had that on his outfit. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was everywhere. And I always say I'm into details and I love that about my heavenly father is he's into details and God didn't just send Jesus to dwell among us. He had a bigger purpose and reason for that. And so I like to start with the Christmas story during the month of December and listen to all four of the gospels. But I love to bring it all the way to completion, to the cross mm -hmm. and to the ascension. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's good. Yeah, it's, that's good stuff. That's, doesn't get better than that. It, do, it doesn't. It sounds like you've just been stealing my denials throughout this whole series of Advent, where I've been talking about this idea that we sometimes get that a "quote unquote" Christmas story disjointed, and it's just about we hear about the birth of Christ, and people are kind of like, "Well, so what?" Yeah. And I, I like what you said. This idea that because God is detail oriented. So much of his detail is represented in the law. Jesus comes, does he wears the phylacteries? Like he does, isn't shave his beard? Like he does everything perfectly. That requires some detail. Yeah, God is into the details. This is something I learned this year. So as you know, when I was growing up, we had a farm, yes. um, and for a short period of time, a few years, and we had a lot of sheep on the farm. We had ponies, we had pigs, we had chickens, lots of chickens, four hundred chickens. Um, one of the things that I actually, so I know a lot about sheep. So if we were to discuss the 23rd Psalm, I could give you some like insights onto why <laughs> it's written. Like we're about to discuss the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> no, but I could Somebody give you just some took over insights this into that. But one of the things I actually just learned is the swaddling clothes that Jesus was wrapped in. Mm. Those swaddling clothes was were what would a shepherd would use to wrap a newborn lamb in. Mm. And when I heard that, I thought, oh my word, God is so much into details, which I'm always right. amazed about and love about my heavenly father. Jesus was the lamb of God and he was wrapped in the same swaddling clothes that shepherds would la wrap lambs in. Wow. Who does that but God? <laughs> Is that amazing or what? It's the details of God that constantly blow my mind. Yeah. And I think who could do that but God? Right. Only God could say, yeah, this baby He's the, he's not just a baby. He's right. the lamb of God. He's going to be born in a manger. Right. The fullness of time. And he's going to be wrapped in the same swaddling clothes you'd wrap a lamb in. Cause that's right. He's the lamb of God. Mic drop. <laughs> I'm just saying, is that God or what? Like that it kind of stuff. God. Like when I hear that, I take a moment cause my brain explodes yeah. and I have to scoop it all off the walls and tuck it back in. Yeah. That's where like you want to say, who does that kind of stuff except God? Right. 
that should blow your mind and get you so excited you want to like jig around on the floor a little bit. Yeah. I'm, yeah, just I'm not entirely sure what that means, but <laughs> yeah, that's, it's, it's the mosaic. It's the Israelite call that, that cries out who is like our God, right? Mm. Who is like our God? On all Nobody. The that's right. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah, amen. That's why he is God and we are not. Yes, that is actually correct. Well, is there anything else in the course of uh, this conversation that you want people to hear about the holidays? Again, I'm, I'm so grateful for your willingness to chat with me and to talk about the things that are special to you and the reasons why they're special. But I do hope, while well, I give you some time to think about what you might want to say as your final thoughts, I do hope that people are hearing that there are lots of traditions this time of year, but this importance of centering them around first Christ and then incorporating them into the lifeblood of your family. And particularly that togetherness of wanting to bring together people to celebrate this great birth, to celebrate our freedom. And that happens in so many manifest ways. But there's something we said almost in a Pauline fashion to be able to take things, even if the world is using them this time of year, and in many ways to redeem them, to buy them back, mm. and to use them in such a way that it gives glory to God and helps us to appreciate and to love him more. We don't need to shy away from these things. We merely need to understand them for what they should be first and foremost, which is to give glory to God. Right. So is there anything else that you want people to hear that's... No, I can't think I of anything. I haven't asked you. I can't think of anything else that I would say that you haven't asked that I think is important about... Are there, are there any funny stories about <laughs> our family that you really are dying to tell people about? Well, <laughs> I think I know what you're leading up to. Well, let me let me just close with this funny story. So, give it a shot here. We're gonna try. We'll see if this translates. Yeah, we'll we'll see if everybody can appreciate Info the, the at humor. Com. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> see if everyone can appreciate the humor in this story. So, last year, as you know, at Christmas time, your sister was pregnant with her first child, True. which was like a miracle because she had always told us for years and years she wasn't going to have any children. So to hear that she was going to have a child was very exciting for all of us. And this is Ashley and Tony. Yeah. Um, he has a great name. And then um, they, so we were going to do her baby shower Christmas week when everyone was home because, you know, it's hard to get everybody up to New Hampshire all together and everybody was going to already be here. So we thought, well, we'll do her baby shower then. So I ordered a whole bunch of things to decorate for the shower and some gifts and whatnot. And I noticed that some of the items were logging. That I was getting notices that they had been delivered. Right. But I didn't have them. And I am I was very, very confused. I didn't know. You know, there was a lot of changes in the mail system because of the pandemic. And so sometimes we were getting mail. Sometimes we weren't. And I was think I was trying to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but I had been told by Amazon that several of the packages had been delivered, right. and I was certain that they had not. So I first talked to your dad about it because your dad is home first before me every day, and he checks the mail. Yep. And I said, Kevin, you know, Amazon's telling me to do, was we had these packages delivered. Do you have these? Do you know where these packages are? And he's like, Yeah, no, we did not get these packages. And I'm like, Are you are you sure? Because they're pretty certain that they came on. You know, they're telling me they were delivered this particular day. He's like, Yep, no, no, no packages. This is Amazon, right? So this Amazon is Amazon. pretty so, precise. Yeah, so I'm, with I'm their thinking tracking. they're pretty reputable. So we live in a small rural town in New Hampshire. And one of the beauties of living in a small town is that you can, you know, people 
So I called the postmaster at our <laughs> post office. Now, Jen, Jen was just, Jen and I were out shopping today and she was going over this story and she was saying, you know, cause Jen doesn't necessarily appreciate rural towns. She's more she of a no little, experience. Yeah. She's more of a suburban city girl. She was born and raised in Philadelphia. Yeah. So there are certain elements of the rural life that she has trouble warming up just to. Born. But she did say, you know, this is a plus about living in a rural area. She said, if this had, this situation had happened where we live in Pennsylvania, if I had called my post office, they would be like, we delivered it. End of story. <laughs> goodbye. And so I called the post office and I got our postmaster and I explained that Amazon had told me that two packages were delivered. Right. And he said, well, you know, we actually scan the packages right at the moment that we put them in your box. So he said, let me check. And he comes back and he goes, yep. So he could even tell me the post person who delivered that day. He said, yes, Jane delivered. And she put it in your post office at 4.26 p.m. on Friday afternoon. So I'm like, oh, well, I don't think that that actually happened and he said well that that can't be because jane would only scan it right before she places it in the mailbox so uh, he said could it be that your husband collected the mail that day and might have dropped it in the yard on the way from the mailbox to the front door and i said well it's interesting you should ask that because i did already ask my husband could you possibly have dropped the mail in the yard because then it snowed the next day four inches of snow so we had a clear lawn, and then the next morning there was four inches of Covered. Snow. Yeah. And my husband, I said to the postmaster, has assured me he did not drop the mail. Not only did he not drop the mail, but he specifically went out, walked around the yard, and looked for the mail, and there was no mail to be found. Total conviction. Yep. We're talking he, about a pastor. He's absolutely 100% positive <laughs> he did not have that package. So this poor postmaster calls up Jane. The delivery person. Come to Jane, by the way, yeah. who's like, I just did my job. You yeah. know the time. Who, I'm by the way, you. the post post office was outstretched that year. He informed me because there was a shortage of postal workers who had mm-hmm. retired because of the pandemic, that the post people were working seven days a week from Thanksgiving to Christmas without a wow. single day off. And wow. sometimes they were delivering mail to her, our house at eight or nine o'clock at night. So, you know, as far as I was concerned, these people were saints. And, uh, you know, I felt bad that I was even like bringing this. All these inquiries. Yeah, this inquiry to him. Well, he got in touch with Jane. They Jane came down to the post office with her vehicle. <laughs> the two of them like combed through the vehicle thinking never maybe the post, again. the package dropped on the side or under a, right. a seat before, you know, after she scanned it. They went through all this. This poor guy emailed me three times, talked to me four times and talked to me on the phone three times assuring me they'd done everything they could possibly do to locate this package. And a week later, my husband comes in and he leads with this. Huh. This is weird. (laughs) (laughs) I found a package on the lawn. (laughs) But his reason for why it was on the lawn. What was the reason? I said, Kevin, oh my word, Kevin, this is the package that I talked to the postmaster about. And he asked me specifically if you could have dropped it on the lawn. And he said to me, I said, Kevin, I feel horrible for putting these people through this. And he said to me, Heather, I did not drop this package. (laughs) 
they must have thrown it onto the lawn. So, so the explanation here with great conviction is, and this was, my understanding is, I have a little bit more background information. My understanding is it was a group of packages being delivered at the same time. Yes. This was There were like, six packages. So one two didn't were make missed, it. Yes. Two were actually missing. So the explanation here was... The Jane, let's call her Jane. I don't know if there's an actual name. It was name. Jane. It was okay. Her, well, we're not even, we're not even protecting the innocent on this podcast anymore. Jane, if you're listening, thank you. We're sorry. Oh, we're sorry. <laughs> we're so, so sorry. So the explanation is, Jane delivers, you know, like five out of six, and then she just whips the yeah, six so package for some reason. Twenty-five. According yards. to your dad, Jane decides I'm gonna put five in the box. But throw this one Just down, this and thing. not even on the front lawn. No, but like for Jane, yards. but for Jane to have done this, she would have had to get out of her truck, walk partially well, down our driveway, and throw it way off to the left <laughs> of our thing. house. We don't know what kind of arm Jane has. Maybe she could have whipped it out of the vehicle and just deposited it. You know, well, crane to your to dad. That yards. is the theory. Yeah, she didn't need to leave. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, and Jen was actually saying to me today, did you ever call the postmaster and apologize? And I said to her, what are you, crazy? I said, of course not. I said, I am not going to tell him that my husband actually did drop the package. And I'm so sorry for all the phone calls and the harassment about our missing package. But, but here's the thing. It depends, right? Uh, you know, as we're going to wrap up with the story, it depends whom you ask, right? Because I think we would all agree it was that dad. package was dropped. By dad. But I'm yep. not sure he's entirely. Convinced. Oh no! To this day, he still <laughs> thinks that the postman, the post postal worker, somehow just wailed it down onto our lawn for some strange reason. Yeah, he will not admit that he was the. Re- and the funny thing was, I said to him, Kevin, do you hear yourself talking? Do you actually hear what you're saying out loud? Because I said. Didn't you tell me that day you actually walked down that side of our house to check on something on that side? He's like, yeah, 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 I did. But, you know, I didn't drop anything. Because he saw a package on the lawn. He's like, is that a package or is that a tree branch? It's possible they might have whipped something down here. So, well, there you go. So this, this is our family. Yeah. And hopefully. And we love them all. I'm sure (laughs) that there are people who resonate with these kind of stories and. I want to thank you, Mom, for coming and hanging out and talking about the holidays. Yeah, we will have you on again soon. I know people appreciate hearing your voice. And everybody, you've been let into the inner sanctum right there. That's the holy of holies, so to speak, of the family. You've got all kinds of insider information, which I want to thank you because it'll be super creepy when people email me now and know all these things. (laughs) But I know nothing about them. So I didn't say anything that was bad. That is true. <laughs> but now I've got, I've got other stories. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we should cut it off at this point. Now, here's going to be the real test, Mother, if you, how much you listen, because we're going to end with the tag. Oh, are you confident? Oh, you I know where you're line? going with this. Yeah. I know. Okay. Well, this has been super fun. So until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Oh.